Hey, great to see everyone, eh? Um, Yes, as you know, preaching on prayer, right? So I wanted to start with a couple of um, true stories about how uh, phenomenal prayer can be, right? So obviously these are are true. Here's the first one. Um, 1857 to 1860, a revival in America. So let me kind of, I've got to kind of read this, right? Um, So 21st of September, 1857, uh, Jeremiah Lampfer, a businessman. So one guy. Right, so one of the things I want to talk a lot about this morning is that it doesn't take a whole group of people for God to move amazingly, right? It can be one person or a couple of people. So this one guy began a series of prayer meetings in New York. So 1857 is our time, right? By the beginning of 1858, so just a few months later, the congregation was crowded, often with a majority of businessmen. Newspapers reported that over 6,000 were attending various prayer meetings in New York and 6,000 in Pittsburgh. So how many people started this? One, one person, right, with faith. Awesome. Thanks for the engagement, team. That's awesome. Um, daily prayer meetings are held in Washington, D.C. at five different times to accommodate the crowds. Other cities follow the pattern. And this is crazy. Listen to this. Soon, a common midday sign on business premises read, quote, we will reopen at the close of the prayer meeting, quote. This is Washington, D.C., the capital, right? New York, big cities, right? Um, by, May, uh, by May of that, um, 1858, uh, 50,000 of New York's 800,000 people were new converts. Nuts. That's a huge percentage, right? And listen to this last bit. Um, Finney, who was a, a traveling preacher, right, at this time. Um, Finney wrote of this revival, this winter of 1857 to 58 will be remembered as the time when a great revival prevailed. It swept across the land with such power that at the time it was estimated that not less than 50,000 conversions occurred weekly. Weekly, right? So the population of America was much smaller back then, so pretty phenomenal, right? So the, the key I want you to get again is how many people started this? <laughs> Just one? Yeah, shot you, honey. One person, eh? Um, I think sometimes, and I say this real carefully, I think sometimes we, we forget the power of prayer, right? <laughs> the power of one person praying. Crazy, eh? Um, these are true records. You can look this up online if you want, eh? Um, here's another one, the 1859 Ulster Revival in Ireland. Um, and this one ends up sweeping the whole of Great Britain. So um, same time, real interesting, 1857. Uh, four young Irishmen began a weekly prayer meeting in the village of Connor in Northern Ireland. Uh, this meeting is generally regarded as the origin of the 1859 Ulster Revival that swept through most of the towns and villages throughout Ulster and Northern Ireland and in due course brought 100,000 converts into the churches throughout Great Britain. Um, again, just four young Irish guys, right? <laughs> Not anything special about them, just four young Irish guys met to start praying. Um, one of the things I kept thinking of when I was doing a bit of research and a bit of thinking this week is um, I think there's a danger that we make, that we hear these stories and we go, oh, that was them, or they were special. And it's not true, right? <laughs> um, same God that they were praying to, um, same Holy Spirit who was moving, same power available to them is available to us now, and the only thing that's changed is the people praying, right? Nothing special about the Irishman, nothing special about that guy in New York. Um, God can do awesome things uh, when we call out to him and pray. Hey, last week, Chris, did a really good message on the power of the gospel. So if you missed it, I'd encourage you to, you can jump on the podcast, um, you can see it online uh, for the online church. So just a really cool message talking about how the, the gospel is powerful in itself, because it, it leads people from darkness to light, right? It was just such a good message, so I'd really encourage you to 
have a look at it, eh? Hey, so we're going to be um, in Joshua 10, as Joe read uh, just before. So just a little bit of context. Most of you know the context, and I preached on this um, last year sometime, but the context is, is actually really funny. So if you haven't read the whole story, Joshua's just a classic book to read, right? Because it's just battles and all sorts of crazy stuff going on. Um, and so previously what had happened is these guys called the Gibeonites, so Joshua's just kind of marching through southern Canaan at this time. He's down the middle, and he's about to go through southern Canaan, so southern Israel, if that makes sense. Um, and his, his kind of policy at this time is he just takes a town at a time. And so he's taken out um, Jericho, he's taken out Ai, and so um, the Gibeonites who are right next um, kind of in line, they sneakily come to him, long story, you can read it, and they deceive Joshua, and they, Joshua makes a pact to not destroy them, right? But he doesn't realize it's a long story. Um, and now the five, um, who are quite significant, um, five Amorite kings from southern Israel, right? Southern uh, Canaan have all gathered together, and they're like, man, we're going to beat up the Gibeonites because they've made this treaty um, with... Uh, Joshua and with Israel who's coming in, so we're going to beat them up, and then the plan is, theoretically, the plan is then as a combined army, now they go and destroy um, Joshua and his army, that's the plan, and so the Gibeonites, who again have deceived um, Joshua into making this, this treaty with them, uh, they send a message and saying, basically like, ah, <laughs> like, help, because there's these, these big kings out there ready to destroy them, so um, I just want to reread some of the verses, so if you've got your Bible, eh, jump over to Joshua 10, um, 7 to 9. Always good to, to, to kind of see it for yourself, eh? Um, if you've got a device, look it up. Joshua 10, 7 to 9. Okay, so Joshua and his entire army, including his best warriors, left Gilgal and set out for Gibeon, right, which is where these Amorite kings are. Um, Do not be afraid of them, the Lord said to Joshua, for I have given you victory over them. Not a single one of them will be able to stand up to you. Um, pretty, pretty interesting, this little bit, right? So when I was doing a bit of study this week, I was like, um, wanted to think about what, is there any military move here, or is Joshua just simply following God? And so a couple of things. The first thing is Joshua is a really good military commander, right? So he's real smart. So if you ever want to read how he um, conquers Canaan, yeah, God's got some power, but the way he does it is actually fascinating, right? So he's super smart. So part of the thing is he's real smart, and he, he stops and thinks. And what he realizes, I think, um, is that he's now got five Amorite kings all camping in a massive open field, which is just real easy fodder, right, rather than them being prepared and ambushing and all this kind of crazy stuff. And so part of his, his intelligence is he's like, man, they're camping in the field. If we can get there before they realize and hit them when they're not ready, this is going to be a great victory. And part of his thinking is he can then take the whole of southern Israel, right, the whole of southern Canaan, in one swoop instead of having to go village or town by town by town. Does that make sense? Shot team. See, I love the feedback. It's just so encouraging. Yes, Craig, that's an awesome insight. Oh, thank you so much. That's great. Nah. And then the second thing is he prays. So I did a whole bunch, probably way too much, um, reading and research, trying to figure out when does he pray, right? Because you see in verse 8, God's answering him, do not be afraid of them, the Lord said to Joshua. Um, and all the reading I did, there, well, most of them would say, most of the commentators would say, he, he's praying as he goes. So he's already been told by God a couple of chapters beforehand, I'm going to be with you, you're going to nuke all these people, it's all good. But the idea seems to be is as they march, he's like, troops, we're off! And as they march, then he calls out to God, hey God, I know you've promised that we're going to conquer them, but just check in, are we good now? Because he's been deceived by the Gibeonites, and now he's going to rescue the Gibeonites. And so I just love that, right? He, first of all, he thinks he's not dumb. Um, but then he moves and he prays at the same time, and God responds, God answers him, right? Um, one of my favorite preachers, Stephen Furtick, uh, wrote a book called Sun Stand Still, which is 
based on this chapter. And he has these really cool quotes in the book. So each of my points is a little Stephen Furtick quote. So here's the, the first one. If you're going to ask God to make the sun stand still, you better be ready to march all night. Um, push while you pray. I love that, eh? Um, I love that. We're going to see Joshua's going to march all night. Um, Joshua doesn't just sit there and pray, God, can you destroy them? <laughs> um, he gets off his butt, gets all his troops ready, thinks, he plans, he goes, but as he goes, he prays, right? Makes sense, eh? You with me? It's cool. Um, look at this quote. I love this quote. Um, when I was studying this week, it says, Joshua therefore came upon them suddenly with the assurance of God's promise from Joshua 10.8. Joshua did not sit back to passively watch God work without his participation. He went to great effort to participate with the work and the will of God. <laughs> I love that, eh? It's this, this team effort thing. Um, one of the things I'm going to say quite a bit this morning that just keeps kept coming into my heart quite heavily this week is that I think too often we put too much responsibility for seeing our, our loved ones saved on ourselves, right? And too often we think, oh, it's up to me. This is such a burden. I've got to pray for so-and-so. I've got to get them saved. It's like, no, that's not it at all. It's a teamwork. <laughs> teamwork makes the dream work. Shot, team. Teamwork makes the dream work. It's a team, us and God. We, we need to pray and we need to move like Joshua does. But the one that's going to bring the miracle, the one that does the hard yards, the one that changes hearts is always... God, right? Hey, so we've got some little prayer cards that um, some people are going to hand out. So, um, Sarah, do you want to give her a hand, Ashley? Maybe Morgan? All good? Hey, so the amazing and awesome Sarah Chalmers um, designed up some really cool little prayer cards for you. So I talked a little bit about these a couple of weeks ago. Um, so there's some in English and some in Spanish. So feel free to choose whichever one you want. If you don't speak Spanish, I'd encourage you to go with the English one. <laughs> um, and we just wanted to give you something physical to hold on to this year, right? And so one of the things that we're encouraging you to do, we want this year to be this year of outreach. But remember, again, we're not saying no freaky, freak out outreach, I'm terrified, you know, I might have to go to the, the center place and share my faith. Ah, it's not that at all, right? Um, but we thought it'd be cool for you to be able to write down the names of just three people. Some of you will have 10, 20, whatever, but just three people that you really want to pray for this year. And one of the things to be thinking about, like we saw with Joshua there, it's not just praying, right? It's praying and moving, right? Praying and moving. And so one of the easy ways you can do this is have these names down. I'd be encouraging you to pray every day, reminding yourself it's not your job to save them, it's God's job. But at the same time, you're going to be listening to God. And when God asks you to move, when God asks you to share something, you're ready to share. So I can cheat because I'm a pastor, right? So people always say to me, what do you do as a pastor? And I can start telling them about Jesus, right? It's real easy. But some of the things I often do is um, often I'll just talk about a verse I read this morning, that morning, right? So um, what I'm saying here is sometimes we're like, oh my gosh, I'm praying for them. I'm terrified. Am I going to have to tell them straight about Jesus and preach the gospel to them? It's like, yeah, that opportunity will come. But sometimes you can just do some real simple things like um, a verse. Oh, man, I read this really cool verse this morning. You're just sowing that little seed, right? And one of the things I say a lot is, oh, church was so cool on Sunday. And I've found so many people went to church as a kid and hated it. And the concept of church actually being cool and enjoyable is like, just blows their mind, right? Um, uh, one of my, the people on my list is, um, grew up Catholic, and so his understanding of church is just, no disrespect to Catholicism, but this is a long time ago, was, <laughs> and so for him to just hear, man, church was so cool on Sunday, we had awesome coffee, they're like, what, you have coffee at church? Yeah, and I'm like, yeah, church is really cool, and, we, and they're like, what? So, so I'm just saying, you don't have to go straight in, 
gospel because you're freaking out. Let's just sow some seeds. Christianity's cool. God is awesome. Man, I prayed this prayer and God heard it. Share what Phil said, right? I wonder why on Sunday talked about God healing his back. It just blows people's minds, right? So we're praying, but we're moving. We're thinking, as, as Joshua said. Okay, another illustration of revival. This one's nuts. So this is my favorite. So there's other ones overseas. Who cares about them? But this one's in New Zealand. So I grew up in Matamata. Anyone else grew up in Matamata? Anyone? Shot, of course you did. We're the coolest. The rest of you, not so cool. Um, So back in, let me get my dates right, Uh, 1948. So um, uh, 1938, sorry. So in 1938, three little old ladies started meeting to pray in Matamata. So Cambridge and Morrinsville and one lady in Matamata. And um, the Morrinsville lady would take the train across, which is like, whoa, the train, it's so cool, in 1938. And um, there was another lady in Matamata that occasionally joined them, but it was these three little old ladies that prayed. So they prayed for 10 years that God would bring a move of his spirit to Matamata, right? 10 years, nothing, nothing, nothing. Um, and then in 1948, 10 years later, um, this massive revival broke out in Matamata. Um, and I'm going to show you a little video clip in a minute. So one of my friends who uh, used to pastor in Matamata was telling me the story, and then he's done an interview with one of the old diggers who was young at the time. And they talk about, um, I'm just going to show you like a little minute from it. It's real grainy and old video, but you'll kind of get the, the feeling of it. And um, this old guy, Jack, when um, Dave, is, who's the guy's interviewing, when he was talking to Jack, he, he asked some questions like, what was the impact on the greater Waikato? And he says, oh, it was just unbelievable. He talks about people coming from Pitaruru and Tokoroa, and this is 1948, so this is different now to travel, um, coming to just be part of this revival, and, and people just getting saved, and all the churches coming together, and just real crazy. And one of the questions he asked him right before the bit you're going to see, he goes, did it have much of an impact on the town? And Jack, the old guy, gets real emotional, and he's just like, oh, man, it just changed everything. And I was like, man, that's fascinating. And Jack actually says, before this, Matamata was dead. <laughs> and having growing up there, I'm like, oh, bro, yeah, <laughs> nah. But he said, after this, it was just so different and vibrant. And I was like, man, again, just three little old ladies, no disrespect to little old ladies, right? Just started praying, prayed for 10 years, nothing happened, and then everything changed. Um, so we're just going to watch this little clip, and this is... Um, this is right at the end of the interview, um, and Jack's been talking about, so his neighbour was one of the ladies who prayed, but his neighbour's daughter um, was alive during it. She was very young, but she was alive during it, and um, YFC, Youth for Christ, came in and started running youth rallies, and apparently it was just incredible back then, so we'll just watch this little video. I love that. Uh, you can't kind of see it on the video, but Jack actually gets real emotional when he, this is the pastor on the other side, this is the old digger obviously, when he asks him that. 
he gets quite emotional when he just sees the three little old ladies and then he pauses because you can see his eyes. Oh, it's really cool. I love that, eh? Um, again, I, I, and I say this real carefully, I think, for me, I, I undervalue the power of prayer, right? And for me, I, I put too much weight on myself, whereas these little ladies are putting it all on God. They're just taking the train and whatever to, to pray together. Um, very cool, eh? Very cool. Hey, let's read another little bit of um, Joshua. So if you go your Bible back to Joshua 10, uh, 10 and 11. Um, I'll start from verse 9 because I missed that before, eh? So verse 9, Joshua travelled all night from Gilgal and took the Amorite armies by surprise. The Lord threw them into a panic and the Israelites slaughtered great numbers of them at Gideon, uh, Gibeon. Then the Israelites chased the enemy along the road to Beth Huron, killing them all the way to Azekar and Makadar. Um, as the Amorites retreated down the road from Beth Huron, the Lord destroyed them with a terrible hailstorm from heaven that continued until they reached Azekar. The hail killed more of the enemy than the Israelites killed with the sword. Crazy, eh? Um, just a quick side note, because I know this can really kind of freak people out, because there's a lot of killing in the Old Testament. Um, one of the key things to remember with these people is they are evil, right? So these, the, these towns that he's talking about, we can see from the Bible, but also just from pure history, they were incredibly evil. So a lot of human sacrifice, a lot of child sacrifice. Their immorality was just disgusting. The way they treated slaves is just like, what the... It's unbelievable, the stuff they do to slaves and skinning alive and all sorts of horrible, horrible things, right? Um, so one, they're very evil. The other thing is God has given them a very clear chance to change, right? To repent is the word we'd use, a real clear chance. And so you see that with Rahab. Remember Rahab when the spies first go into Israel to look at conquering it? And Rahab says to the spies, our hearts melted within us when you guys came because we knew the miracles that God did in Egypt. And so Rahab gets that this God is so powerful and awesome. And so Rahab actually becomes a Jewess. She joins Jew with her whole family, right? They get saved, we would say. Um, and so the understanding from Rahab is that this message, because the annihilation of Egypt was so extreme, the message of God's power is, is already swept through. And so they've been given this real clear chance to, to change. And they've gone, nope. And so God comes in to, to nuke them. Anyway, the amazing thing is um, Joshua, like I've been saying, he marches and fights, right? He marches and fights. And one of the things I love in this is it's God who does more of the fighting than Joshua. You saw that, right? So God kills more by the hailstorm. In the Hebrew words, because the Old Testament's written in Hebrew mainly, right? The Hebrew words actually means rocks from the sky. And when I was reading it, they were like, this is not just your average hailstorm. These are like massive ice rocks (laughs) that God's, I mean, horrible stuff, right? Um, Verse 10, the Lord threw them into a panic. Verse 11, uh, the Lord destroyed them with a terrible hailstorm. Um, so like I've been saying, one of the key things I've got to get is God called Joshua to move. He didn't say to Joshua, yeah, just put your feet up and pray. He called Joshua to move and to fight, right? But at the same time, God says, but I'll do the miracle. You be faithful and do what you can do, but I will bring the miracle, right? So here's my, um, here's my second point. Extraordinary moves of God begin with ordinary acts of obedience, right? Extraordinary moves of God begin with ordinary acts of obedience, um, God is the only one that can change someone's heart, right? We can't change someone's heart. We can discuss and debate and do all that stuff, but the only one who can change someone's heart is God. But it's our responsibility to pray. It's our responsibility to move when God calls us. But it's also our responsibility to go, the heart changing is up to you, God. I'm not freaking out. Um, sounds kind of crazy, but like I've got my little list um, already going, and 
the three people, not to sound rude, right, the three people on my list are so far from Jesus, it is just nuts. And a couple of times when I've been praying for them, I just feel like going, no, this is stupid, this is never going to work, God. But I keep reminding myself, that's not my problem. That's his problem, that's God's problem. It's my problem, my problem, my part to be faithful to pray. And it's my part that when God gives me an opening to talk about him, he's cool and church rocks and coffee, you know, and all this. Um, But it's God's job to bring the miracle, right? It's not my job. I'm not going to allow myself to be overwhelmed and freak out and kind of give up, right? Um, Another little example of the power of prayer, and I want to be real careful when I say this one, um, is how the cafe is doing now, right? So most of you know the big journey the cafe's been on over the last few years. So um, a few years ago, the cafe, as a church uh, and as a leadership, we were discussing whether we needed to shut the cafe down. Um, it was so much in debt, and it was losing money, and we were just really worried, and the church was propping it up, and we are like, what are we going to do? Um, whereas now the cafe is just doing amazingly, right? So the cafe is paying a lease, which it's never really done. The cafe is paying its own power and gas and water, which it's never done in the history of the cafe because the church has propped it up. It's just like, so financially, it's doing like amazingly, right? Um, why? What's the change? We've still got cool staff. We had cool staff before. We've got cool coffee. We had good coffee before. We've got good food, we had good food before, so what's the change, right? Why is it doing so, like, really, really good financially? Um, the other thing is spiritually, the cafe's doing phenomenally. Um, most of the staff, not all of them, but most of our staff are Christians, um, and they do cool things, like they pray over every table when they wipe it down. So as they clear the table, they just pray, God, can you just bless whoever left, be present in their life? Can you bless who's coming? Just cool things like that, right? Um, heaps of them will pray for regulars, like, not out loud, like... Here's your coffee. May the Lord bless you in the name of you. Know, they'll be like, oh, go to another cafe. But we've just made a thing that we pray for some of the regulars, quite like, yeah, like in our heads, if you know what I mean, um, that God will give us opportunities to share with them and that he'll draw them to him and stuff like that. Um, and then the staff actively look for opportunities to just be with people and encourage them and show them love. And so there's a lady in this last week. I'll kind of blur the details, obviously. Um, in this last week, who looked terrible, absolutely terrible, and Jade saw that, Jade's the cafe manager, saw that, and um, she's a regular, and Jade just boosted out to see her and said, are you doing okay? And the lady just about burst into tears and said no, and told her what had been happening in her week, and it's like terrible, like off the charts terrible. And Jade just goes, oh my gosh, can I give you a hug? And she's like, yeah. She gave her a big hug, and it's just like, that's so cool. And then said, man, coffee is on us, what do you want? Muffins, whatever, eh? And then just sat with her and talked to her and shared, and I was like, man, that's what the cafe should be about, right? So cool. So same staff, same food, same coffee. What's the difference? To me, the difference is there's a whole bunch of people that last year agreed together to start praying regularly for the cafe. <laughs> so one of the ladies I know often gets up at four in the morning. I'm like, is there? I didn't even know there was a four o'clock in the morning. What is this madness you speak of? She often gets up at four in the morning just to spend time in prayer for the church, for the cafe. Um, that's the only difference, right? <laughs> Food's the same stuff. But there's this massive change financially and spiritually. What's the difference? Prayer. Prayer just changes it, right? Prayer changes it. Um, I love that. Um, again, we don't just um, we don't just sit back and pray <laughs> and allow God to do it as a, as a cafe team, right? So the cafe team don't turn up at seven, go upstairs and just spend the day in prayer. God bless the cafe today. No, they get off their bum. <laughs> they make good coffee. They make good food, but they pray at the same time. You know what I mean, eh? Same thing together. Okay, a couple of questions, because everyone's looking at me like, where are we going, bro? Okay, so um, I'll, I'll read the question, then I'll explain the plan. So why does God often wait for us to move before he does? Kind of a cool question. 
Question number two, why do we sometimes believe the miracle rests on our efforts rather than on God, right? So why do we often think, oh my gosh, I've got to do it all, rather than saying, I'm going to do my part, I'm going to trust him. It's his job to do the miracle, right? Why do we do that? Let's, um, let's boost on, eh? Hey, so read another little bit of um, Joshua. This is the crazy bit at the end where you're just like, so you've got to remember, this is in the middle of the battle, right? So I think sometimes when we read the Old Testament, we don't enter into the story enough and we kind of just read it quite abstractly. But you've got to remember, they are in the middle of chopping heads off and stabbing people with swords. And so there's like full on death and, sorry, what? Dodging hail. <laughs> well, the Israelites are no, no hail dodging. Yeah, that's, oh, that's another whole story. Well, it's one of those weird ones where how did God get the hail to only hit the baddies? Because they're in the middle fighting. So is, it, is he just like super accurate with the hail? Or, you know what I mean? It's like, and one of the things that blows me away, so another side thing, not one Israelite dies, which is nuts. Because you've only got to have some muppet with a sword who's like, you know, sorting away. And then he's like, oh, what's this on the ground? Doing an arrow or a Like, it's not hard to kill one guy of the... Of the goodies, but not one goodie dies. Only bad guys. It's like, how does God do that? Because he's awesome. Okay, hey, let me read it before I get myself in trouble. Verse 12. Um, On the day the Lord gave the Israelites, so the Lord gave, interesting, eh? The Israelites, victory over the Amorites. Joshua prayed, this is pretty crazy, to the Lord in front of all the people of Israel. So he prays this in front of the army. That's some serious faith. If it was me, I'd hide behind a tree and be like, God, do you want to do the sun thing? <laughs> you know, maybe. But he does it in front of everyone. He's just the man. He said, let the sun stand still over Gibeon, which is bonkers, right? And the moon over the valley um, of Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stayed in place. What? Until the nation of Israel had defeated its enemies. Um, it's really funny reading commentaries on this verse because they all try and explain how this happened, which is impossible because it doesn't work. So like the funny theories are things like, um, did God literally make the sun and the moon start spinning around our earth at the same time? Just like you can't, how does he, what, gravity, what, planets, orbits, that's what? Um, another one was, um, does God literally stop the earth from spinning and hold the sun and the moon. It's like, it's just like, this is just a crazy miracle where you're like, how, what? So my point in saying that weirdness is it shows you the crazy faith of Joshua, right? Because he's praying for something that is just nuts. Just, I think it's nuts. I think this is just the audacity of Joshua. I, I love this. This is the third point here. Look at this one. I love this point. If you're not daring to believe God for the impossible, you're sleeping through some of the best parts of your Christian life. I love that, eh? If you're not daring to believe God for the impossible, you're sleeping through some of the best parts of your Christian life. <laughs> so listen, listen to this real carefully. So Joshua prays this in front of the entire army. Blood all over them, fighting, it's pretty full on, right? He prays this. So imagine how Joshua felt when he was fighting away and he suddenly realized, oh my gosh, the sun has literally stopped moving. Um, how awesome. <laughs> Imagine how encouraged his faith was for that next prayer when he knew the creator of the universe had listened to him and literally stopped the sun and the moon. It's like, what? Um, imagine the encouragement to his army because I, I would put a box of cash on it that some of the army would have heard him pray that and they would have thought, what an idiot. Where do we find this clown, right? Um, but then when they're fighting away and they suddenly realize, hang on a minute, it's according to my watch, they'd have like little sundial watches it, the sun should be going down, but it's still at noon. How, what? Oh, Joshua's faith. 
Here's the last imagine. Imagine the shock for the enemy, for the Canaanites, and for Satan. <laughs> and I always think that second part, Satan going, man, when these people pray in faith, their God will do anything. Their God will do anything. I love that, eh? Now, and I say this real carefully, I think often we put too much weight on Joshua in this story. And I think too often we just go, Joshua is the man. Oh my gosh, oh my God. And he is, he's awesome, right? His faith is incredible. But the thing we've got to remember, and this is how I started, right? The thing we've got to remember is same God, same Holy Spirit, same power indwelling every single one of us. The only thing that's changed is the person doing the prayer, right? Hey, if you're listening to this on the podcast, um, driving, doing the dishes, whatever, I just really want to encourage you to just stop for a second and listen, eh? Um, us sitting in this room, man, we have access to the same power that stopped the sun. <laughs> how, the moon, how, how do you even do that? It's impossible to figure out, right? Impossible to figure out. Um, God wants your family to be saved way more than you do. He wants your friends to be saved way more than you do. And he looks at you and he says, I need you to be faithful in your part, praying and moving when I guide you. But I'll do the miracle. It's not your job to do the miracle. That's craziness. You can't change hearts. It's my job, God says, to change the hearts. Your job to be faithful. There's that little bit again. Extraordinary moves of God begin with ordinary acts of obedience, right? It's all God's asking us to do. Ordinary acts of obedience. Man, Nick, do you want to come up and play? Yeah, Etu, let's all stand up and let me lead us in a prayer. My, my point in this message was not a guilt one, and I, I hope I've done that. It's not a guilt kind of thing. It's a, yeah, just do what God calls you to do. Pray, we can do that. Share our faith a little bit, we can do that. Sow those seeds. It kind of takes, it's like someone said, Kara, it's like Kara said, it takes the, the weight off, right? Because God is the one who has to and will do the miracle part. Yeah, let me pray for us. Yeah. Hey, Almighty God, you're going to hear our prayers this year. Uh, you're going to hear us faithfully every day uh, calling out to you. Sometimes real short because <laughs> the day is nuts. Sometimes spending time in prayer before you, praying for these two or three or four or whatever people that we really want to see move from darkness to light. Uh, we want to see them move from a place of, oh, I'm just doing life, and it's kind of weird and confusing to a place where they can be connected to you and anchored to you. Um, and have that security that you've got them, God. We, that's what we want to see. That's what we're calling out to you for. Yeah. yeah. I know you'll hear our prayers, God. I know you'll hear our prayers. Give us the faith as we pray uh, to know. All we've got to do is our bit. We leave the miracle up to you. We, we have ordinary acts of obedience, and we leave the extraordinary up to you because you are an extraordinary God. Yeah, I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen.